0: Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org.
1: Thank you for allowing me to share the sit-in practice with you. Um, I would like to talk about the... uh, Mahayana, the Tibetan tradition approach, and how for me it's the same as the approach, the Vipassana approach, the embracing approach from Khan, but it's just a different way of seeing the same thing, different angles of seeing the same thing. Once we see from different angles, I think they complement each other. Um, <clears throat> and then after my sharing, I would love to hear from your perspective regarding the practice and if you would like to share a poem or anything uh either or related to this practice I would love to um, I'd love to hear from you sharing your practice so um, <clears throat> our practice is to find freedom and what are the obstacles that prevent us from tasting this Freedom is the difficulty is arising in our difficult emotions. For example, anxiety, frustration, depression, trauma, whatever is coming up that we experience is living in this body and mind, in this life. Those are the difficult emotions that block us, that are the obstacles to our freedom. So the practice is to understand that and not feed energy into them so that they become our instrument, telling us what we need to do instead of becoming our master. So we shift from the emotion from being the master to being our instrument, our servant, or our friends that give us information rather than becoming our master. So how how do they become our masters? It's because we feed energy into them. We say it's my, I, me, mine. That's where the source of energy comes in. If we shift and we no longer feed energy by shifting our identity, it's no longer I, me, mine. Then we no longer feed energy into it. So the way to make them our instrument is to take away the energy supply when not needed and feed in the energy when needed. But I'm the one who controls the energy supply, to feed it in or take it out. Whereas when I'm not aware, then I always feed in it unknowingly unconsciously so And then it controls me. So the practice is to learn. The, the control valve, when to turn it on and when to turn off the energy supply. So how do I shift? So energy follows the self-identity. So we shift our self-identity, then we automatically shift our energy supply. In, um so we shift this. How do we shift the self-identity? So we do that by embracing whatever is arising. I'm using the term terminology for taking account. It's uh, emphasis is on embracing, because when we're not embracing, we, something unpleasant arrives, we push it away. We, uh, something pleasant, we cling, or we ignore it, uh, or we run away from things. Then we always feed energy to them, either running away or, uh, or clinging on to it but the way to embrace it, and in that embracing, we recognize a second parallel plane of consciousness uh, that exists beyond the emotion. So the emotion may be arising in the foreground, but when we embrace it, we realize that embracing capacity is in the background. So in this second parallel plane of consciousness, we find freedom which is the embracing capacity. And from this new planes of consciousness, now we can shift our self-identity, the I, me, mind from the foreground to the background, from the emotion to the one who embraced the emotion. And by shifting the self-identity, now we shift the energy flow to awareness to the second plane. And from the second plane, now we can guide The emotion in the first place, in the foreground, it's like if I can use the analogy, um, it's like in a on a theater, you have drama on stage, and the audience, the spectator in the audience in the background. So when we embrace the drama on stage, we recognize the one who embraces actually the spectator, because the spectator. It's already there before the drama begins, during the drama, and after the drama ends. When we close the curtain of the drama, the spectator is, is still there. And the spectator has been there even before the opening curtain of the drama on stage. So whatever we embrace the drama, we realize we're, we're more than the drama, we're the spectator. in the the audience. So once we realize the spectator, which is the awareness, now we can come in and play the drama. But now we're not serious. It becomes a play. And from the vantage point of the spectator, now we can feed energy into play. I can play the winning guy and then coming back, now. step in the next drama, I can play the losing guy coming back. But now, from the vantage point of the spectator, I don't get too proud, Uh, I don't become too egoistic when I win, or I don't become too depressed when I lose, they are uh, drama. I still try my best to play well, I still follow the rules, of the drama of stage yet i know my true self is the spectator in the audience and in the mahayana tradition the tibetan they call they call that they emphasize to the differentiate between the relative truth which is the drama on stage and the true nature which, which is the spectator in the audience and the way to get to the spectator is through embracing the drama, because the spectator is in our practice, the awareness is formless. It's hard to go straight into the formless, so we embrace the form to realize the formless. Just like the analogy we talked about, I share earlier, we can't see this empty space of the room, but we can embrace the furniture and from the Boundary of the furniture between two furnitures. Now we can realize the space of the room. Um, <clears throat> so we embrace the, uh, the emotion, the difficult emotion, the pleasant emotion to realize this wholeness, The one who embraced. we embrace the drama to realize the spectator, the formless uh, awareness in the background. And so, so. Now, so the first technique in Mahayana is to discriminate, to differentiate between the object of awareness, which is the relative truth, versus the awareness itself, which is the true nature, the true nature. Um, this, that's the first step, differentiate. Second step in the Mahayana tradition is how to, how to rest in this formless, the whole time 24 hours, 24 hours uh, so that we are in charge of the emotion instead of they are the master. So we can feed in the energy and cut off the energy, feed the energy when it's needed, cut it off when it's no longer needed. So that may become our feedback mechanisms. It give us the uh, a report. And then we decide what action to take from the vantage point of the spectator. So how do we do that? Um, So that's our technique uh, in the Mahayana tradition. They show us the the direct technique versus indirect technique. What is the difference between direct and indirect? So I'm going to show the three steps that we normally uh, do in the in the practice, the three steps. Uh, so the first step is just a concentration technique in practice. So I'm concentrating on the breath, which is this, the breath is here. And then I, uh, so if a difficult emotion arise here, it no longer control me because my my mind can only do one thing at a time. I concentrate on the breath so that I no longer concentrate on the anxiety that comes. So I can find a pleasant place of resting in the midst of the anxiety. So here I'm in the one plane of consciousness. So the step one I mean one one plane they are in the same plane so focusing on one so that I don't focus on the other mind can only do one thing that's step one step two the practice is the foreground is the anxiety while I rest in the background uh which is which is uh, awareness this is called dual awareness I have the object and the subject. So, the foreground is the uh, anxiety, which I can feel as the tightness in the chest. And the background is um, body scan sensation from feet to head at the feet. So, so now the tightness in the chest the anxiety is, is only a part. The whole is the sensation from feet to head at the feet. The body scan. So I rest in the whole the, the whole body, while embracing the uh, uh, the tightness of the chest. So that now the tightness is only five percent of my body, whereas the bodies can become the hundred percent. So I st- so anxiety still come up, but now they only come up as five percent of my consciousness, whereas I'm still free the other 95%. From the vantage point of the other 95%, now I can use the anxiety and utilize it. Whereas if I don't have the body scan, and this is the only thing, if I only see the anxiety, now this become 100% of my consciousness. So now I'm inside the anxiety. Whereas if I have the body scan in the background, and then anxiety is in me. Notice the difference. I'm inside the anxiety, which it become the 100% of my consciousness versus anxiety is in me. Now it's become 5% of my consciousness. I can rest in, so I can be anxious in the midst of the other 95%. That is unaffected. For example, tightness in the chest, but my... Uh, my cheeks still okay. My cheeks are still okay. My forehead still okay. My uh, palms still okay. It's not tightness. So in the midst of the tightness of the chest and the anxiety, everything else are still okay and rest in that still okayness while embracing the tightness of the chest so that I can guide the tightness. So that's the second step is dual awareness. Which <clears throat> the third step is the part. Is still the anxiety, but the whole instead of body scan now the whole becomes the up the formless awareness. Now this is non-dual awareness. But we, non-dual awareness, we got to taste the formless, and the formless awareness has two uh, elements, which is um, stated in the Buddhist Suragama Sutra is formless and has luminosity. So we may not feel the formless, but we can illuminate. It has the fact that We can illuminate the tightness of the chest, the anxiety, to realize that we're more than it. Because the one who is anxious has a beginning and ending. But the one who's watching the anxiety exists in this empty space before the beginning, during, before, uh, above, below, and after. So we rest in this formless space, and that's non-dual awareness. Um, So in the Mahayana tradition, the first we differentiate between object of awareness versus awareness itself, between the relative reality versus the uh, true nature. This is the first part of the Mahayana tradition. Second part of the Mahayana tradition is to how do we get there, which is in indirect path, which is the Vipassana technique, is to embrace the parts to realize the whole, rest in this wholeness. Embrace the form to realize the formless. Or the the direct path is merged into this formless. Once you have tasted the formless, first we use the indirect method, use form as the pointer to the formless. Once we have tasted the formless, now rest in this formless, go directly to the formless path. Rest in this formless, and now, when the form from the vantage point of this formless, now whatever is arising, it's okay. They are in me instead of I'm in them. And from the vantage point of the formless, now I can feed energy into it when it comes in. I can uh, make uh, make it work for me. But if I forget the formless, now. They be they now I get stuck in them and they tell me what to do. So can I find a formless wholeness while and embracing the parts while it comes into my presence and resting this wholeness. So we're not trying to push away the parts, even though the part may go be jerk but we find that which is still whole that is unaffected by whatever is going on with the part. And we hold it there. And by holding it there and accepting it unconditionally, we're not feeding energy into it. And the law of nature is uh, everything always reaches to its equilibrium state. So if just become berserk, uh, uh, it only lasts for a while. Because when I take away the fuel supply to it, I don't say it's my anxiety. So it's just anxiety, it's no longer my anxiety. Now I'm not feeding energy into it. Eventually, it dissolves so to reach equilibrium state. And then what's left is that formless space of holding capacity. And that's what our search is. And that's what Mahayana tradition teaches. From the Tibetan tradition, uh, which is illustrated by uh, Rinpoche, uh, uh, discriminate between true nature versus relative reality, relative truth, and then go there by either indirect or direct path, or we can choose it from Hidnyak just so as to embrace whatever is arising. And use that as a pointer from the object. Use embrace this and use it as a pointer to the embracing capacity that's around it, and rest in your wholeness. Thank you for allowing me to share the practice with you, and I would love to hear from your perspective whether either about this or anything else. Uh, or a poem, you're sharing a poem, whether you want to say, in your life right now, or about Japan, or whatever things that inspire you. So I would love to hear from you. Um, announcement. Let's see, is Sue here today?
0: No, she's not on
1: today. She's not on. Oh, okay. So if anybody's, I heard that today is Sue's birthday. So if you <laughs> get A chance to see her, or maybe type a uh, text or email message to, have, to say happy birthday. She's our treasurer, and she has done a lot for the sangha. So, we want to show our appreciation and send our heart to her. And also, um, the uh, uh Wendy mentioned about the book club, uh. <clears throat> So she will start the book club and the book that she's thinking about starting is Advice Not Given, A Guide to Getting Over Yourself by Mark Epstein, the psychiatrist, a very well-known meditation teacher. So if you are interested, please email to either to Sue or Wendy and it goes more into the detail uh, of what we have just I uh, talked about what what if it's if Sarah a guide to getting over yourself, We get over the the relative truth so that we can realize the uh, true nature, not getting actually embracing it. So it, uh, you can say get over or you embrace it. Either way, it's you go beyond it. You embrace whatever arise in the foreground so that you can realize the one who embraced it in the back. Thank you for your support. You're allowing me to share the practice. I would love to hear from you. Please go ahead and yes, please.
2: Hi, thanks for the talk. That was very helpful. Um, What what I'm wondering, David, is when when you're caught in that anxiety or the that thinking that's very very deeply personal it's you know like what i'm experiencing it's not just generalized anxiety it's stuff that's related to my actual life so i understand the concept but How do you actually in the moment shift your consciousness? What do you do to get to shift the consciousness?
1: Beautiful, beautiful question. In fact, that's the essence of our practice. Uh, The first uh, technique to make it work because if you don't use the first technique, everything else doesn't work. So the first technique is to shift from the outer form to the inner form, to shift Instead of looking outward to looking inward, for example, I'm just making up an example, we have anxious with relationship. Uh, somebody else and our significant other, and so usually we shift outward, we see something that person did that make us believe that caused just anxiety, anxiety to arise. So we put a condition, we say, we need to change the other person or change the circumstance to alleviate this anxiety. But the practice here is we realize sometimes we can't change the other person. We can't change the circumstance. Sometimes it's beyond our control. So what we do is we shift inward. We look at the inner form. So anxiety, the outer form is that person say something that makes us anxious or did something. The inner form, is the tightness of the chest. So we shift from that person, the circumstance to the tightness of the chest. And then we realize the um, <clears throat> the suffering occur is because we identify with the tightness of the chest. And we say, I mean my, it's my tightness, it's my anxiety, it's, my, it's I'm anxious. And then we get stuck in that my anxiety. We, be, we, say, we see the whole world as this tightness of the chest. So our practice is to shift inward, embrace the, uh, the boundary of the tightness of the chest. There are two, two types of boundaries that uh, um, that we get stuck in. Boundary either in the time dimension, which is, uh, remember the sound of the bell? So we can step out the boundary by resting in that form, of space before, during and after, or boundary in the space dimension, which is the tightness of the chest. And when we embrace, we, um, we realize I'm more than that space. I also exist above the chest, below the chest, to the left, uh, uh, to the left of the chest and to the right of the chest. So we're more than the boundary either to the time and space. And because we were more, so we expand our consciousness bigger. So now the anxiety is a part of me. It's in me, it's maybe 5% in me, but I'm still uh, free the other 95%. And that freedom, that 95% is where you can work with the 5%. But if you're not, if you don't discover that 95%, then it's control you. In fact, let me. This is from, I'm going to show you a statue. This is from the Tibetan tradition. The uh, big Buddha embraced in the small Buddha. So when we embrace whatever's arising, we become bigger than that. We become the second parallel planes of consciousness. We discover, so this one is in the first plane, the foreground. We discover the one who embraces in the background and, and then rest in that one who embraced. And that's freedom. So that anxiety is still there, but it's only a small part of me that's anxious. I'm bigger than that. And from the vantage point of being bigger, now I can guide it, instead of it's guiding me. Thank you. Nice. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes, please, Anthony. I,
2: I want to steal one of your techniques.
3: <laughs>
2: uh, I took this picture one day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a big cloud. Uh, In an empty sky. And in some ways, for me, using Zen techniques, I focus more on thought than on sensations in the body. So Mm -hmm. what I would notice is this thought that then leads to anxiety, that then leads to more thoughts, leads to a train of thought. But once I become the watcher, now I'm in the sky. And Mm -hmm. I'm no longer in these thoughts, these thoughts are in me, and I'm just watching them. And they lose their power to cause me to suffer. Um, I don't know if that helps at all. But uh, there's a big difference between being in the thought, and it's your entire consciousness. You know, oh, this is terrible. Oh, this is terrible. And then it leads to a train of thought. Then it leads to feelings. Then it leads to an emotion. Then it leads to more thoughts. Then it leads to more suffering. As opposed to if you can take a step back, and now you're the energy is uh, whatever technique you use, whether you focus on a mantra or you focus on a koan or you focus on uh, uh, the breath. Now, those thoughts are something that you're aware of, but they don't become your entire reality. And it seems like they seem much smaller. And they get smaller and smaller as your consciousness gets bigger and bigger. And now you're not suffering. Uh, I hope that helped. I don't know.
1: <laughs> beautiful. So, so beautiful. So eloquently expressed. Thank you so much. Um, I, I just want to piggyback on what. Uh, Anthony was saying is uh, usually we jump from one thought to another. Uh, So if we shift outward, we jump from uh, what that person did uh, that caused me anxious and then he or she did the same thing a year ago. And not only that, he or she did something else that makes it anxious. So we shift on the outer form and we keep jumping. Uh, from one thought to another from one form to another horizontally so our practice is to rest rest in the in the formless in the inner form the tightness of the chest and the inner form it doesn't jump to another form that's the beauty when we shift inward the thought we it jumps to another top but from tightness of the chest it stays, there it doesn't jump so because it can't jump to another the, uh, in the horizontal, now it jump vertically into the formless space. And that's what we want. So we use, we concentrate uh, into one sensation and from that one place of sensation, now it, instead of jumping horizontally, now it jumps backward vertically to the formless space. The universe that holds in this form that exists before this form, during and after. That is more than the boundary, the limitation, the And from the vantage point of the wholeness of the universe, the true self, now we can work with this relative truth. We can guide it. Yes, um, you have a child that is, has a tantrum. If you forget uh, the wholeness, then you become the child with the tantrum. You become the one with the tantrum. But if you embrace it and jump backward, now you become the parent who embraced the child with the tantrum and guide the child. It's okay, child. We can get over with this. Now you can guide it, but only from the vantage point of this vertical wholeness. Please go ahead.
3: Hi, um, thank you for your talk and thank you um, for those of you who shared. I uh, am finding it very beneficial to hear this stuff this morning. And I wanted to share that um, I think for myself, a very strong habit of mine that I have is this idea that I can somehow, like I can somehow figure out how to not suffer Um, that I can control things if I think hard enough about how to respond. Um, This, you know, basically the delusion of control. (laughs) Um, And so I just wanted to share that that's something I suffer with, I I struggle with in my practice.
1: Thank you so much, Janet. In fact, uh, you just clarified why, what motivated me to learn. And because I got stuck the same way. So before, oops, <laughs> before I just trying to control my thoughts. So I want to change from one thought to another to control it. But you know, um, then I get keep getting stuck in the loop of thoughts. For example, um, I'm anxious and I trying to use another thought. That uh, anxiety is thought number one. I try to use another thought. Uh, it's thought number two. I should, I should be not anxious by now. I should get over with it by now. And then thought number three come up, and they say, why am I so bad? Why other people can get over with it, I couldn't get over with? It. Why do I take it so personal? So I get keep getting stuck in the loop of thought. If I try because thought one will lead to thought two, so even though thought two trying to control thought one, it leaves a residue for thought. Three to commit, so I get, get stuck. So now I need to go beyond thought. The one that's watching the thought is be is beyond the thought. So all I need to do is watching the thought, watch, be aware of the thought. The one who's aware is more than the thought. And from the vantage point of the more than the thought, now I can guide the thought. From the vantage point of the more than the thought, I drop the fuel supply to the thought. Whereas when I move from thought one to thought two, I still feed energy into the thought because it's still my thought. The way to cut off the energy supply is to be aware of it, to watch it, and be the watcher. Now, from the vantage point of the watcher, I cut off the fuel supply. Here, when I shift, when I try to control the thought, I move from one to another. It's like I'm driving the car. I'm pressing the gas pedal and the brake at the same time. When I move to this thought, I'm pressing the brake, but then I'm, it's still my thought, so I'm pressing the gas pedal. Where if I move to the vertical dimension, the formless space, the awareness, all I do is I don't even need to press the brake. I just put in neutral gear. And that's what I do. That's what the shift is, to cut the fuel supply. And it, they will thought on its own. It takes time for them to stop. Because if you imagine you're going 60 miles per hour, you put neutral gear. It will stop, but it has a momentum. And while it's travel in that momentum, all we need to do is continue to embrace it with love and patience and let it settle on itself.
3: Yeah, thank you. And um, you have uh, one of the pieces of advice I remember you giving is to um, go back to body sensations, and that's usually helpful for me. So thank you.
1: Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much, And I forgot it about it <laughs> because thought is uh, intangible. It's very hard to feel the boundary of the thought. But if you can find the component of the thought, the anxiety, of the the, ang- anxiety, the anxious thought is very hard to feel the boundary because it's so intangible. But the tightness of the chest, now you can feel the boundary of the tightness. So the tightness is just a component. Tightness of the chest is just a component of the anxious thought deal with this component, it's body component. Body component, you can feel it's more tangible. It has a boundary. And from the boundary, now you can jump outside the boundary. You have to locate the boundary first before you can jump out. And it's easier to locate via the body component because it's, it's more tangible. You can feel the boundary easy.
2: Yes, please, Anthony. Uh, I just wanted to say that this whole process is a lot like exercise, and the more you do it, the easier it gets. Um, you know, progressive resistance, you go in the gym and you lift 100 pounds one, one week and then you lift 110 pounds the next week, you lift 120 pounds the next week, and then pretty soon when you this process happens and some upsetting thing happens, it, it gets much easier. To step back and let it go uh, with this practice, and if you sit twice a day, that helps. Uh, if you only sit sometimes, then you don't develop that strength nearly as quickly. If if you meditate on a regular basis, or if you do a week long retreat, uh, you know all of these things lead to to it becoming much easier to, to step in and out of. Uh, you know, okay, I'm taking care of things. Uh, and then boom, take a step back from it and and uh, just not allow uh, ourselves to suffer. So thank you.
1: Oh, Thank you so much. Thank you. And so uh, just like Anthony said, it's repetition over and over again. And uh, you can do it more sitting or you can synchronize with the breath. Yes. So uh, so on the in-breath, I can feel the left no- rim of the nostril. On the out-breath, I can feel the right rim of the nostril, just like here, left rim, right rim. And then by embracing it, I always feel like I'm the one, the watcher, out here, looking, watching it. So the breath become like the stage. I'm the spectator watching the stage. So whatever thoughts arise. Now I can insert them inside the stage, whatever drama I write, I can insert them. So now, if I can get used to watching the breath, now I'm, I'm used to watching the anxiety, the anxious uh, emotion. Then I'm getting used to watching the fear. I'm getting used to watching everything else because fear and anxiety, they don't come up often. <laughs> so so we, we want to train something that's always there so the breath is always there and we want to train the sensation of the breath is around the nostril uh, or above the upper lip uh, so we want to train that and make it a habit and then when we when we get used to just keep watching the breath and sensation of the breath now emotion come up now we get used to watching the emotion as what we practice is form boundary stepping out the boundary where the Stepping up the boundaries of the breath, sensational breath, or stepping up the boundary of the fear or anxiety is the same thing.
0: Hi. Um thank you so much for the talk. And I was just thinking about remaining on the vastness of the self, which sounds immense and beautiful. And um, was I was just like it came to me that as it comes will it come more often is that like a state with where uh we are we will be as we practice more like uh or is something that we how do we immerse that feeling of vastness in our daily life and stresses? Yes. I guess. Yes.
1: yes. So in the Suragama Sutra is has two qualities. Number one is the vastness of space, which is hard to feel, and number two is the luminosity factor, which is easier to use. So we in Vipassana we use the luminosity factor. So the luminosity is like we send love. Unconditional love, and we say love as a state of being rather than object oriented. So that formless state of love become our resting place. So if you can imagine, um, uh, going back to the analogy of the space in your room right now, the space of the room. So now you add because the space is formless, so it's hard to get there. So you go to the second uh, element, which is the luminosity factor, make it a state of love. So your room right now is a state of love. And then uh, normally you don't rest in this room as a state of love. You rest in the chair, you say the chair is nice, so therefore you love the chair. But if uh, the table is ugly, you don't love the, ta- the table, because you love only because of the object, but the practice now is love for the sake of love. Just a state of being, as the space of the the space of the room. Love everything, whether it's you see an ugly chair or a beautiful table, because it's a state of being. And from the vantage point of this state of being of love, it accepts everything, and it goes and it goes beyond everything. It's just like a womb of love. And the womb accepts everything. And yet, it's more than everything. The womb can accept the first child, nourish the first child, come and go. And it's still there after the first child is born. It's, and then it's ready for the second child, nourish the second child after it's coming. It doesn't just say, I'm only nourished the first child, but not the second child. But it's there for everything. It keeps nourishing, and it's the same womb, even though the different object arises, different child arises. So whatever arising, the state, the state of love is like a womb. so rest in this womb, and now the first object arises, anxiety come and go, and then the second object arises, uh, joy come and go, but you don't click. You don't try to cling on to the joy because you rest in the womb of love, of unconditional love. And then the third object is uh, fear. It comes and go. but you, because you have the womb of love, you can rest in the midst of that. Or you can create anything else. But in the Vipassana tradition, we found that the loving kindness is the easiest to be, to rest, to settle in the form of but feel free to use anything else. Whatever works for you. Uh, I, hope, I don't know if I have answered your question.
0: I think it it actually did. Is not love each object or being for. Is more like you're the being of love. Yeah. Yes. Yeah,
1: it's inward, not. Adward. Adward. oh oh yes, you. yes, beautiful, I'm glad you say that, because <laughs> sometimes the way I express may not be as uh, well as you, so, <laughs> but you got the idea and you expressed it in a way that is more uh, easily uh, understood to to everybody else. Thank you so much.
0: your example was very clear, and it cleared my mind. Um, thank you for that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, you can call that the host. The state of being is become the host. Everything else become the visitor. So, our suffering is not because of the visitor, uh, the anxiety, the uh, fear, the depression. But our suffering is when we don't realize the host, the the womb of unconditional love. When we don't realize. The host, then the visitor becomes the host. When the depression arrives, then it becomes if we I don't have the host, then I mistaken this yes as the host. I'm mistaken this yes as me, my true nature. But if I r- realize I'm the host, my true nature is that formless space around here of awareness. Now this yes become the visitor. And if it, a visitor, I don't feed energy into it. It's just a depression. Forgetfulness of the real host, of the true nature in the Mahayana tradition, uh, It now just yes, become the host, and that's how suffering. So it, recognize, yes, as the visitor. Yes, please, Anthony.
2: I was thinking about this. Uh, I think developmentally, we ignore emptiness. And so, for example, uh, you know, our ancestors thousands of years ago, it was much more important for them to see the lion and to see the, the deer, the, the prey and the predator than it was for them to see the empty space. So we, we very much focus on on objects. So when you sit in your room, you see your chair, your sofa, but you don't see the empty space. Even at night, you, you look up at the sky and you see the stars, uh, but you don't realize how vast space is and how empty it is, because we're we're focused on those little tiny points of light. Um, and even consciousness is impermanent. Um, you know, we uh, go to sleep every night in deep sleep. There's no awareness of anything. Um, you go and get anesthesia to have a surgery and they give you a propofol and they tell you count from 10 to zero. And by the time you've said nine, they're waking you up in the, in the recovery room. <laughs> and there is no awareness of self. There's no awareness of time. There's no awareness of, of anything. So even, even awareness, consciousness uh, is another object. It, it's impermanent emptiness is 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 the womb, but it's hard for us to see it. It's impossible for us to see it. It's much more it's much easier for us to see the the anger, the fear, uh, or even ourselves watching the anger and the fear than it is for us to to experience the emptiness.
1: Thank, thank you so thank you so much. Yes. and uh, Anthony just mentioned to point out to our negativity bias. Because in our body, which is born, which is has gene that passed on for millions of years, is that we' negatively we negative bias because when we're in the wilderness, um, <clears throat> we don't focus on emptiness, the uh, love, but we focus on the form what is moving, something may be wrong because the moving part may be a mountain lion uh, that's trying to. Eat me. So we only focus on what's wrong to survive that, rather than what's right. And that becomes a habit. And that habit works in the outer world, but it doesn't work in the inner world. Because if we use that in same habit to the inner world to deal with our difficult emotions, then it just uh, makes us suffer. So we need to shift the this uh, skill set from the outer world to the inner world. What works for the outer world to survive, to fight, to compete may not work for the inner world. Because in the inner world, we're not trying to fight, compete, conquer. But we surrender to this wholeness, to the, to the universe. And from the vantage, then we become one with the universe. From that oneness with the universe, now we can control this ego and we can guide this ego. Ego is not a problem, but ego as your master is the problem. So the way to use it as an instrument is to merge with the universe. You can't fix the ego by becoming the ego. (laughs) You got to surrender the ego to become something bigger than the ego. And then from there, you can guide the ego.
2: Thanks. Uh, Thinking about or listening to all these different obstructions that you have illuminated... And they remind me, in different ways, of Mara. And the, I guess the question is: Is Mara's function to uh, throw us off the path or keep us on the path?
1: I think it depends on us, not depend on Mara. Mara is an obstacle, so. Uh, we have to shift from the outer mara, mara to the inner mara. The outer mara is the casino, the uh, beautiful sight, the uh, uh, the alcohol, the buzz. But the inner mara is the clinging for the pleasant sensation and pushing away the unpleasant sensation. So we got to shift from the outer form to the inner form. As we, we get stuck to the inner form, not the outer so, for example, when we drink alcohol, we're not stuck because of the alcohol. We're stuck because the pleasant exists and we keep cleaning, it uh, to make it last longer. So, once it's uh, digested, then we want to drink more because once it's digested, the pleasant uh, diminishes. So, we want a new pleasant to come in. So, we drink the second cup of the cup. So, the alcohol, the outer mara, is not a problem. The inner is the problem, which is the pleasant. Actually, the pleasant sensation is still not the problem. It's our clinging to the pleasant and wanting it to stay. Uh, it's the problem. So, so the pleasant sensation is the first error, and then the clinging to the pleasant sensation is the second error. We got we got to see both errors, and and then uh, uh, and then we can see that it's smaller than me. Uh, it's in me instead of I'm in it. And from that embracing capacity, now we can allow the the clinging, the second arrow to come and go. First we see the first arrow, uh, first arrow come and go, then we see the second arrow come and go, while we rest in that wholeness, the formless space, that womb of unconditional love, that accept everything, yet more than everything, that more than everything, is our true nature, is our uh, place of refuge? And then I can't, on the next one, I can't uh, see. Yeah, I'll, can I'll, you read
0: for me? Yeah, I'll read the question. I realized it was a direct message to me. Um, so the question is, how do you help a loved one whom you can see allows suffering to become their host?
1: Now you can help loved one who, uh, from suffering? And then what's the last part? Oh, that that there's, uh, help them to become their host. Their... Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. You're the host. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> we get to speak, we get to speak the language where they are at, not from where we are. So, uh, I would say first is to do it upon ourselves, upon myself. If I want to help others, I have to be healed first before I can help others. So, and they can see how it affects me and that motivates them follow. That's the first step Second step is um, we I, I can't speak the, my language I have to speak their language. Most people who haven't practiced yet uh, so the, you got to start with step one, which is clean uh, merge into the breath and use the breath so that you don't focus on the suffering. This is only step one, the first plane of, here you're still stuck in the first one plane of consciousness. So, But this is the best way to approach somebody. Show them the breath. Show them Thich Nhat Hanh's teaching. Synchronize the breath with the step, synchronize that. Um, So that they have a place of resting in the midst of whatever is going on. And then once they get, it works for them, now go to the second step, which is dual awareness. Can you rest in the breath in the midst of the tightness of the chest? But in both at the same time. Foreground is the tightness. Background is the, is the breath or the, or the body scan. So if it doesn't work, go back to step one, uh, which is breath. Uh, focus on the breath and not focus on the tightness of breath. And then if they need, and then after they accomplish step two, I think they're ready to go. Step three is, is go to the Sangha. <laughs> and then, so always speak from the language of the audience, not from yourself. And learn what the audience needs and tailor the approach to the audience. Yeah. And then the next one,
0: Um, I, no, I didn't see another one, um, but I think we're right at eleven thirty, uh, so we're right at yeah. our, our end time. Okay.
1: Yeah, I hope I hope I have answered everyone's, and I hope we I hope I will be able to see you maybe next time with that uh space, um, sub or anything like that. I can come back and love to hear more from you. Thank you so much for uh, the practice. Maybe we can sit. For one more minute before we end this session, is that okay? as we're ending our practice, I want want to dedicate the merit of our practice to the benefit of our being. And I want to send my deepest gratitude to my uh, teacher, Thay Tienyakon, for showing me the path and uh, to awaken the inner peace and inner light within myself. And that in the peace and in the light is in every one of us. We just need an environment uh, that cultivate, that help us nurture this quality. Thank you so much for allowing me to share the facts.
0: You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org.